Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Brett Dalton has that white flag in hand. Crowd on their feet. Talladega Super Speedway. One to go for Eric Jones. He's out front. Will he lead him all the way back? Kyle Larson right behind. So is Ross Chastain. Eric Jones trying to take the legendary 43 back to victory lane. Where will the challenge come? Larson is right there. Big shove now from Ross Chastain. But it's Eric Jones off to for the final time. No one stepping out of line here among the leaders. Eric Jones leads the way. Halfway down the back straightaway. Half a lap to go. Larson's looking. Jones goes to block. It's all Eric Jones leading back to three. They're jammed up nose to tail. Now Kurt Busch pulls out a line in fourth. That breaks Chastain off the back bumper of Kyle Larson. Eric Jones is out front by a car length. But will Larson's run last? Here they come racing to the tri-oval. And Kurt Busch is in the middle lane. They're crashing behind him. Kurt Busch hard into the outside wall. Bubba Wallace into the wall, steaming to the line. Ross Chastain will win the Geico 500. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Lou Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley, the entire MRN crew here with you as today we begin our countdown of NASCAR Live's top 10 stories of 2022. Today will be part one. We're going to cover five topics today, and some of the voices you'll hear discussing the topics will include Jeff Striegel, Alex Hayden, Kim Kuhn, Dave Moody, Steve Post, Chris Wilner, and championship-winning crew chief, Todd Gordon. It's a big old MRN roundtable. And before we jump into everything, let's get a check of the latest in headlines in the world of NASCAR. Kyle Ricky is here with that. Kyle, what do you have for us? Mike, as the holidays approach, more silly season dominoes continue to fall. Last week, Joe Gibbs Racing announced their Xfinity Series lineup for 2023. John Hunter Nemechek will race the number 20 full-time, while Ryan Truex will race the number 19 in six events. JGR made other significant moves in adding Sammy Smith to its full-time lineup in the number 18 car. Sam Hunt Racing made two notable moves. The organization inked Kaz Grala to a deal that will have him running full-time in the Xfinity Series for the first time in his career. Grala will pilot the number 26 car, while Connor Mosack will compete in 20 races in the number 24 car, starting at the first event at Phoenix. 
Josh Balicki will go cup racing once again with sponsorship from Ziegler Auto Group. Balicki will run multiple events this year with Live Fast Motorsports in the number 78. And former Craftsman Truck Series champion Brett Moffitt is back running a full-time NASCAR schedule. AM Racing announced that Moffitt will pilot the number 25 as a technical alliance has been formed with Stuart Haas Racing and Ford Performance. AM Racing will also have an entry in both the Arkham Art Series and Craftsman Truck Series. Those driver lineups have yet to be determined. Mike? Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, we'll dive into the top 10 stories of 2022. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like 6th grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The Bush Clash has become the NASCAR Cup Series signature preseason event ahead of the Daytona 500. And in recent years, NASCAR's mixed things up a bit, like holding the clash on the Daytona road course. Well, this year in 2022, NASCAR outdid themselves by packing up and heading out west to stage the event at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, a stadium that's held Super Bowls, Olympics, and hosted some of the greatest musical artists of our generation. Let's dive into the discussion. Postman, we'll bring you in. You were in L.A. Did you ever imagine you'd see NASCAR take over an iconic venue like the Coliseum? I never in my life have witnessed anything like that. And and fortunately, being the, 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 the pit road reporter, I was the guy in the infield. And being in the middle of that was amazing. Right off the bat, the, the, the day before the race, when the cars first came out of the tunnel, you know, you thought that place rocked when the USC Trojans come running out of that tunnel. When those NASCAR cars, and, and this was the new car, so the throaty, gutty, earthy sound of these cars come out of the tunnel, you're just like, my gosh, we are being invaded by something spectacular here. And then they come out, and, 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 and I'll talk about the race a little bit, but the scene, once we got to race day, the scene was something I've never seen in my life with the pre-race concert, Ice Cube with the concert there, Pitbull. They had a college section that was their USC students that was there for the party. They were there for a good time. This is, we, we, NASCAR has talked about the young demographic, getting new people involved, taking NASCAR to places where these people are. Well, they delivered it. Someone, and I don't know who it was, and, it, and, I, and I actually think it was a fan. I don't think it was some, I don't think it was a reporter. Someone tweeted something to the effect, and this has stood out to me, young college girl, drinking mimosas, listening to Ice Cube and watching a NASCAR race. Things I never thought I would see, and they delivered it there. So when you look at the event, the the, the stadium, the, the, the circumstances, the crowd, it was bonkers. It was absolutely amazing. Let's bring in Todd Gordon here. Todd, you prepared for several bush clashes in your time as a crew chief. Asking all of the cup teams to set up shop in L.A. before Daytona was a huge ask especially with the race being the introduction of the next-gen car. But in the end, it was a home run. It, it was a huge na- a gamble for NASCAR and, and one that they calculated their way through. And kudos to, to NASCAR for having the vision because, I mean, 
the overall sentiment was this was going to be a flop. I, I felt like a lot of people from the outside were very skeptical of, of what we were going to be able to put on. It's a new race car, didn't know what it was going to be like. And going to such a small little event, um, you know, what was going to happen out of it? What was going to happen was an exciting show that, you know, of, of leaning on. You, you look at Martinsville, probably the next smallest racetrack we go to. You're leaning on cars, you're moving cars. We've had tons of excitement there. Why shouldn't we have expected that to come to the Coliseum? And and it didn't it it didn't underperform. It was a phenomenal show, a different layout, you know, with heat races, with brakes. It didn't have pit pit competition on pit road. It was a different structure, but what a great way to introduce a new race car and to kick off the excitement into the 2022 season. Um, I think everybody came out of there and wanted to know where we're going the next week. And we had to wait two to get to Daytona. Chris, we'll bring you in. You represent the younger demographic here at MRM. What'd you make of the clash of the Coliseum? The party atmosphere and things like that. I think what really made it a success as well is this brought sponsors wanting to be a part of this event. You know, in years past, the clash, okay, it's the kickoff of the season. It's an exhibition race at Daytona. We're coming back for the 500. It was almost something sponsors kind of wanted to dismiss a little bit. And it was one of those things that at this point, now you have a party in Los Angeles with a completely new market, a complete new advertising opportunity. You had drivers that wanted to grow their brand and they bought in. I think at first they even too were a little bit skeptical. I know Kyle Busch certainly was amongst others. And then you get there and it's just an un, a scene unlike anything else. And I think the fact sponsors bought in, you looked at the viewership on you know both radio and television. I mean, near triple digit increments uh, growth over the last year for this event. Uh, it was something, I don't even think Ben Kennedy, when he drew up this idea, you know, a year and a half ago or so, uh, dreamt that this would even be possible. So like you mentioned, kudos to NASCAR, but it's that party atmosphere. I think that was missing a little bit that we understand we're going to somewhere new and there's some unknowns, but let's just make this a celebration of the sport. And obviously now with a debut of a new car, like it was last year. And then I think everybody just bought in and it was a, a huge success. Really good points there. Really good points there. And you, you look back and, and from the race team side, being, being a crew chief on that side, when we had the clash at Daytona, it was a test session. That's all it was for us. It was another practice session for us. It wasn't its own entity. It was it was another piece of Speed Weeks. And we just, we would go into that and we might try a couple of things. It'd be like what we could learn for the 500. And really our mentality was, we'll use this race to do whatever we have to, to figure out the 500. When they separated the two entities and created this, this clash in the Coliseum, it's nothing like any place else you're going. Everybody geared up to, pre pre to prepare for that race. And it, it made it such a bigger moment and a bigger event on a schedule. It, it really did. And, and the thing of it is, and when you take this racing, NASCAR racing, short track racing, a little bit of beating and banging, and you put that new audience there, every time two cars touched or got close, you could hear the crowd over the race cars. I mean, it was, you, you, you'd be looking at something and the next thing you know, you hear the crowd erupt and you turn your head the other way and, and, and somebody had gotten into somebody and they're spinning off the racetrack and it was just amazing. And I look at this thing and I thought, what a success, what a success, what an amazing race this was. And I also think we were one caution away from this thing blowing the roof off from racing because the way that race unfolded, Joey Logano was out there leading the race and Kyle Busch is tracking him down. If there is the late race caution, 
Katie bar the doors because we are going, there's never been anything like this. It was still great the way it was. And I just think it was, I just think it was amazing. And, and, and Todd then to have Paul Wolf and Joey Logano get the win, not a shocker that those two figured out something new in NASCAR uh, quicker than everybody else. You look at any place that we've been, and, and I obviously have relationships with both of them, but anytime we've gone to a new venue, that 22 car has been near the front or at the front. Think about Bristol Dirt, when we talked about that with Daniel Suarez, Joey won that race. We went to Coliseum, Joey won that race. It just, when we go to something new, Paul and Joey have done a phenomenal job of preparing to figure out what the weekend's gonna bring. The Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum returns to kick off the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season in February. I'm sure we'll make even more memories the second time around. Motor Racing Network will have that call, by the way, first weekend in February. Coming up, there were 19 different winners in 2022. We'll discuss what we saw in that department next. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Heading into the season, there were plenty of questions about how the next-gen car would impact racing in 2022. Would it yield new winners? How would experienced drivers adapt? Well, what we saw were 19 different winners on the season and the likes of Christopher Bell and Ross Chastain racing for a championship in Phoenix. Let's bring in Kim Kuhn and Jason Toy into the discussion here. Kim, how surprised were you about the amount of winners we saw this season? I was definitely surprised that we saw 19 different winners and each time we saw a new winner on the season, it was like, okay, is this going to be it? And then it was one after another after another. And then not only the number of different winners, the number of new winners, too, was a huge surprise to me because it's not often you get more than one or two guys that have never won a Cup Series race win on the season. But I thought it was great for the sport. I love seeing different faces in victory lane. And I was actually hoping that we would make history and have 20 different winners on the season. But it just goes to show you when everybody has a more equal playing ground, we really see the talent of different drivers that maybe we didn't see prior to the next gen car. Jason, do you believe the next gen car leveled the playing field? Yeah, I think it did definitely. It brought in uh, different players into the fold of things that make them more competitive and be there. You know, we've seen different winners, but we also see the fact when you look at top five, top 10 finishes for teams that normally would run 20th and back, that we brought a lot of those up to the forefront. So I thought that was a really nice addition this year. I think the next-gen car really played a lot into that to allow these teams to be able to, like Kim talked about, the level playing field. And, you know, I thought it made it exciting for the race fans, too. I mean, each week we're talking about, okay, who's going to be the next driver to step up and get a win? And, you know, it made the playoff, I mean, build up towards the playoffs even more exciting this year to find out, 
okay, hey, you're going to have to win a race definitely to get your way into this thing. But uh, I thought it was fantastic this year to see how the parody and everybody e kind of equaled out throughout the year uh, to be able to get to uh, a great run through the season. I'm telling you, it was uh, I love seeing how the level playing field happened. And like Kim even mentioned, too, to see the driver's talent step up to the forefront. Kim, what team stood out to you as far as their ability to adapt to the next gen car? I think it goes without saying Trackhouse Racing impressed everyone with their ability to be consistent throughout the year. Not only that, have both of their drivers, Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez, win in only their second year of existence. And obviously they had a group of people that came over, over from CGR that kind of maintained, you know, relationships within the team. But for all intents and purposes, they were a new team and to do all they did in their second year of existence to me and to do it and have fun doing it too was what really stood out in 2022 and i think it impressed a lot of people and i think it shocked a lot of people and there were moments in the season where i think a lot of people said all right is this just a fluke and then it seemed like time after time they continued to prove that they were there and they were there to make waves Jason, we'll come back to you. Looking at an individual drive, how about the season that Christopher Bell was able to put together in that next-gen car? How many times did we say, you know, had to jump in and race his way in? I thought he, every time he had to, he stepped up. Him and Adam Stevens have worked so well together in putting him into that championship opportunity. You know, I take it a, a step beyond that. You know, we always talk about uh, Joe Gibbs racing, Penske, and Hendrick. I thought it was great to see, like Kim talked about with Trackhouse. Obviously, that was a story in itself on the season. But also, Front Row Motorsports with consistent runs, which was great. Spire with uh, Corey LaJoy, they had some good runs in the top 10. And they're building a foundation to go now full-time racing with two full-time drivers next year. I, I, I love that, too. I love seeing, uh, you know, JTG uh, Doherty Racing. They had some good runs throughout the season. Now they have to work on their consistency going into next year, but they were even up there competitive along with Richard Childress racing. We saw it with, you know, with Tyler Reddick and saw it with Austin Dillon. And, you know, they're going to try to run the third car a little more next year. I, I just, I think they they've built a nice foundation for them this year to be contenders next year too. Kim, should we expect to see this again in 2023 or will it be back to names we're used to seeing in victory lane on Sunday? That's one question that I can't answer. And I don't know that a lot of people can answer. And I think at the end of this season, that was on a lot of people's minds is, will we repeat in 2023 what we saw in 2022? And that's the level of parity, teams surprising us. And so I think there's a big question mark. I do think that teams and drivers have gotten to a point where they understand the next-gen car a little bit more than they did just think about all the times we were at a track for the first time in this car this year. It was basically all season long. There were very few times where we repeated tracks. And so I think that is going to be helpful in maybe seeing a little more consistency from teams that were up and down all season long. But I certainly think that there's an opportunity to see maybe not as much parity, but a good amount of parity in 2023. But who knows? I think it is. I mean, I think it's, and it's a lot more players coming to the game now too, which is a great thing that NASCAR needed to have. And instead of just having the big three and, you know, we talked about Christopher Bell being a part of that with JGR, but I think that sets up a better foundation for them, for the, the veteran drivers. And of course, now you got uh, a new driver going in to, at JGR and Ty Gibbs in the 54 car too. So they're going to have to do some build up there, but I just think it brings a lot more players to the game. And that's what one nice thing about it 
And, you know, with the off season here and, you know, some tweaking that they got to do on some things when it comes to driver safety and some other things uh, with the, with these race cars, it continue to, to do that and continue to evolve for these programs. And I, I'm looking forward to 2023. I think that has the potential to be in another fantastic year. As am I, Jason. Can't wait until we're back at the track in 2023. Coming up, we'll dive even further into the next-gen car's impact on the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season. Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full-season price of the year. Just go to YouTube.com slash Spotify offer to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6. No refunds. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The start of the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season meant that the next-gen car would finally make its debut, causing many across the sport to wonder what impact the changes to the car would have on the upcoming season. Let's bring in Jeff Striegel, Alex Hayden, and Dave Moody. Dave, what expectations did you have for the next-gen car heading into 2022? I really didn't go into the season with any expectations, and I'm not sure that anybody honestly could have at least realistic expectations. It was was a white sheet of paper. It was unlike anything we had ever seen before. We We had hopes that it was going to be a a very nimble road racing car. We had hopes that it might prove to be better on the intermediate tracks, which quite honestly had been NASCAR's weak link for a number of years. I don't know that anybody envisioned how good the competition was going to be. Were there a couple of glitches along the way? Absolutely so. Obviously, the the rear impact safety concerns were were something that had to be dealt with during the course of the year. But overall, from the competitive point of view, I thought the mile and a half tracks went from being our weakest link to our strong suit virtually overnight. I mean, we had some great racing on the mile and a half and two mile ovals this year. I don't think there's any doubt that the brand new car helped what we saw on tracks bigger than say Darlington, so the mile and a half racetrack to two mile racetrack to super speedways, I don't think the car disappointed at all. I think where there's work to be done now is on the track smaller than one mile in length, say Phoenix, say Richmond, Bristol and Martinsville. But I think, you know, like Dave pointed out, no expectations going in. The car didn't disappoint. It certainly had its challenges throughout the year. But the product on the track, certainly for the bigger tracks, didn't disappoint at all. I think the big word was hope. I think most everybody hoped that this was going to be the car that it was supposed to be. Keep in mind, this car was supposed to debut the previous year. And I think with the the COVID and and all that everybody went through, delaying this race car's release until 2022, may have done everybody a lot of favors because it gave them more time to develop it. Was it a perfect race car? No, it it absolutely was not. There's still things that need to be done and have been done to the race car uh, throughout the year and going into 2023 that need to be taken care of and addressed. But for the most part, the numbers don't lie with the, the record of number of green flag passes. We've never seen that number of passes under the green before in the Cup Series. We've never seen that many green flag passes for the lead. 
those types of things. The numbers don't lie. I think the car was a success, but it still is a work in progress. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away. So to hope that the car was going to be as good as it turned out to be, I think, I think everybody was pleasantly surprised with that. Alex, what are some of the changes that you expect teams to make this offseason? Well, I think every team has things they want to improve on. Every team has built a notebook all season long. So uh, maybe Hendrick Motorsports has A, B, and C that they would like to see changed or worked on. But yet, Roush Fenway Keselowski sees completely different uh, a set of things that need to be worked on. And it, it, it depends on the individual race teams and what they've been able to learn with the race car. From our point of view, obviously, what's being addressed uh, is the rear impact. We don't need our athletes and our stars getting hurt. And with with backside crashes like we saw with Kurt Busch and Alex Bowman, Tyler Reddick, those things need to be taken care of. And, and don't get me wrong, we all understand, especially the drivers, that, that auto racing is a dangerous sport. There is a risk every time you strap aboard a race car. But if there are things we can do as a sport to try to make the car safer, to prevent as much as possible, then that's what we need to do. And I think that's the big thing. Dave, how big of a concern is safety for you in the next-gen car going forward? Well, um, it it was substantial toward the end of the season. I've got a, a high degree of confidence that between the sanctioning body, the chassis builders, and the teams, the chassis builder and the teams, that they've come up with a really workable solution to this that will solve the problem. Obviously, you know, it's complicated because the back end of the car is where we keep all the fuel. And, you know, when you want the back end to crush a little bit more, uh, uh, the emphasis is on a little bit. But this will this will not be the first car in the history of NASCAR that doesn't get improved on in year two and again in year three and again in year four. That's kind of what these teams do and they're really good at it. So I think the weak links will be strengthened. I think the teams will go into this season with a much thicker notebook than they did last year because at this time a year ago, they had no notebook at all. So I'm pretty confident that that we can have a safer 2023 without giving up anything on the competitive end. Jeff, was there anyone who stood out to you as far as their ability to adapt or maybe their struggles with the next gen? I don't know that there was any team that didn't come out of the box ready to race. I think there were certainly some teams that came out more prepared than others. And I think you have to look at track house racing and what they did immediately when they unloaded that race car. I don't think anybody expected in their sophomore season a team to perform at the level that they did. Same thing with 2311. They too brought a fast race car right to Daytona back in February. They didn't disappoint. I think when they look back at their year, they're going to see areas where they, you know, could have, should have improved and had a better finish. But, you know, I think when we look at the newer teams that, you know, we didn't have high hopes or high expectations for, those are the ones that I think surprised us the most. I'm sure teams are hard at work as we prepare for season two of the next gen race car coming up we're gonna go around the horn and discuss the rise of track house racing in 2022 this is nascar live now back to mike bagley 
Welcome back to NASCAR Live. No team in the NASCAR Cup Series made a bigger impression than Trackhouse Racing in 2023. The second-year outfit, co-owned by Justin Marks and pop sensation Pitbull, captured the attention of the NASCAR world at Circuit of the Americas in Ross Chastain's first career victory, then again at Talladega and Sonoma, where Daniel Suarez won. And, of course, we'll never forget that magical moment at Martinsville. Steve Post, Todd Gordon, Chris Wilner are back to discuss this. Steve, what did you make of the season that Trackhouse had this year? Well, Justin Marks comes in and he uh, is very non-traditional. I think they, I think the cool kids call it a disruptor, and he does things differently. And and and, and honestly, it goes back to even last year when we rolled into the media center at Nashville, I think it was, and he just dropped the bomb that he has bought out Chip Ganassi Racing. And so, even coming into the sport, he came in guns a blazing. And so he comes into this season, and you know he gets Daniel Suarez, who is a, a great, great Xfinity Series driver, and Ross Chastain is two drivers. And he says, "We're going to go to battle. We're going to mix it up with the the big boys on this." And boy, they did. And 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 honestly, they come out of the season so good. And Todd, you and I on the crew call talked about when we hit the halfway point of the season with this next-gen car, this new car, there was only one team that was consistently good in the first half of the year. Everyone else was sporadic, and that team was Trackhouse. Yeah, the only the only, the only kind of caveat in the, in the run, especially for the one team, they had about a six-week uh, kind of lull from New, new Hampshire to the start of the playoffs. I actually started to write them off a little bit, but the first probably 18 races of the season, they were the organization that week in, week out, whether it be the 99 or the one car, they'd have somebody that was up in the top five fighting for it at all times. And, and honestly, I think we'd think more of their program had the 99 not had the fit issues they had early in the season. I thought the 99 was every bit as good a car as a one car. And, and to, to the piece you talked about, you go back to Nashville with Justin Marks buying out Chip Ganassi. I'll go back to the starter track house. They brought <clears throat> they brought Daniel Suarez on in 2021 in a startup team, and, and for what they did right off the bat with a 99 car, their competitiveness was markedly higher than what a new entry level team to me should have been. I, I was I was astounded. Um, you know, go back to the first dirt race at Bristol. Daniel Suarez was in in a position to win that race. Racing, I mean, with a single team startup organization, Justin Marks, that whole group has done a phenomenal job and, and carried that out in with a brand new car this year that, that the playing level was field or the playing level was playing field was level. Um, did a great job of, of just executing and and you could see it throughout all the teams. It's a different kind of Justin Marks created a different team environment. It was one team with two cars. I did that at Team Penske. I felt that way. But I felt like Justin even did that to another level with his organization. And kudos to them. They uh, they ended up being the, the runner-up in the championship with, with Ross with a, with a heck of a run forward there at the end, making a race out of it. Let's stay there with Daniel Suarez. Todd, you just brought it up. The success of Ross Chastain would almost have you forget that Daniel Suarez was Trackhouse Racing's first driver. Yeah, and, and it really, he fits the culture. I mean, he's grown into that with what Justin Marks is making, outgoing, building fan base, doing the things he can. I mean, he just he just fits over there. And I think one of the biggest things is, is you know, he's got support. They believe in him. And that's, that's something that, you know, in the situation, he, he was he was young and new coming up. You talked about the Gibbs thing. He had a stint at Stuart Haas for a little bit, but 
never really was embraced as the guy. And, and I think when he got there, especially with it being a single car team, it did a great job of embracing him and building around him and building confidence in him. Really, I mean, if you look back to the first win that Trackhouse had was Coda, Daniel was dominant in that race. He got caught up, pit cycle, put him in the back. He got caught up in somebody else's wreck, but Daniel was the car to beat at Coda. And in several of these road course races early in the season, they had a lot of speed. And, and, and you know, finished 10th in points, I think they could have done more than that. And, and really cool to see Daniel's rise in, in this environment. To kind of piggyback off that as well, I, I would have to say that it's a weight lifted off Daniel's shoulders, not only for winning in the Cup Series and, and the trials and tribulations that he's faced in his career, but the fact that, like you mentioned, I think early on in the season, he was like, you know, I, I kind of helped start this thing, but now Ross found the success quicker. He's going, what's going on with me? I feel, and I remember I talked to him early in the season, I think it was at Talladega, and he just said, I feel like I just have this black cloud that follows me that I can have a dominant car and then something happens late in the race and I can't find a way to victory lane. And he's like, it's not for a lack of effort. Their team has been like the lockstep with the one car, you know, for the much of the early part of the season. But then Sonoma happened and it was just this giant weight was lifted off his shoulders. And that whole embracing being a part of this organization, not just a number, like he said he thought he was at Joe Gibbs. is He's just part of the organization. He's driver number four. And here's that and the other, but at Trackhouse, it is, there is no one guy, there is a team and everyone is treated equally. And I feel like he could really just relax in that role and 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 really it showed uh, in the midway point of the season, obviously Sonoma coming to fruition, but then in the rest of the season as well, I think he just drove with a little bit more confidence. I could tell that he really was more confident in himself and his team. And it showed, you know, by, by finishing the season strong, obviously wanting to be a part of the championship four, but nonetheless, less i think daniel suarez definitely has a lot more confidence but was able to breathe a good sigh of relief after sonoma but again it's he's bought in i think he's really relaxing this let's go out and let me just embrace myself in this whole you know let's get the publicity like the tootsies thing and 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 he's really enjoying racing again i think for the first time in a few years posty 2022 wasn't just about the rise of track house racing but was the introduction of a star in ross chastain I absolutely love the story of Ross Chastain because he has willed himself to the top of this sport. And when a sponsor tells him no, a team owner tells him no, this one tells him no, he grabs his helmet bag and shows up at a racetrack and go dri- goes drives the wheels off a race car. The success he had in East Motorsports trucks. But I go back to, to he had a stint with Chip Ganassi Racing. And I remember a race at Darlington where he roughed up Kevin Harvick to get a win in an Xfinity Series race. You know, wait, wait a minute. Right? Pulling, tugging on Superman's cape is what he was doing there. And and he, you know, and Kevin had made some comments about it. And, and Chip Ganassi was like, hey, I love winners. I, I want this kid. This is the kind of kid that I want. And when we look at this season, he comes out, he's aggressive, he gets the win at Coda. What a wild last lap there. He picks up the win at Talladega. But remember the midseason? What was the headline at Gateway? Was him and Joey Logano and, and, and Chase Elliott. Or him and uh, Denny Hamlin. I'm sorry, him and Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. And the dust-ups they had there. He has been unconventional. And he has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He has rubbed some key people the right way. He's got uber talent. He obviously is creative. Look at the move at Martinsville at the end of the season. He's not scared to try something. And he just has made, just as really, really, he has bullied his way 
into a spot at the top tier of cup racing. And man, I'll tell you what, Chris, you deal with a lot of young racers. I deal with a lot of young racers. Everyone wants what Ross Chastain has, has aggressively pursued and he has gotten. Can't wait to see what Ross Jastain has in store for us in 2023. Coming up, the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series schedule. We'll see more changes. One that's a blast from the past and another that's quite possibly NASCAR's greatest endeavor yet. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. In 2023, the NASCAR Cup Series will once again welcome a new track as we're set to race on the streets of downtown Chicago. But the big headline is the return of North Wilkesboro Speedway, hosting the 2023 NASCAR All-Star Race. Jeff Striegel, Alex Hayden, and Dave Moody are back with me now. Alex, you live in North Carolina. What's the importance of NASCAR going back to one of its old historic racetracks in North Wilkesboro? You know, that, that's a great question because North Wilkesboro Speedway has a tremendous history embedded in the sport of NASCAR racing. The location geographically of that racetrack is in the foothills where moonshining took place. And quite frankly, from what I understand, still happens. Uh, so that being said, this sport was basically founded on the moonshine runners who could modify their car to outrun the federal law. And, and then they tried to figure out who had the best race car out there. And it's essentially going back to our roots. So I think there's such a high degree of importance to stick along that historical side of things. North Wilkesboro Speedway, it's got some work to be done to the facility. There's no doubt about that, and that work is ongoing. But I think it's important to, to continue to embrace the history of our sport. And what better way to do that than back in the moonshine hill? So I think it's a great addition. I, I like the fact that it's the all-star race, a non-points paying race to come out, display these cars and these drivers and all-stars on a historical racetrack that Quite frankly, to my knowledge, nobody who's a current driver has raced on that racetrack in a NASCAR Cup Series car, let alone much of anything else. So I think it's going to be a fun weekend across the board. And, and obviously, there's a soft spark there in there for anybody who's a historical part of things to come back and race at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Having it being all-star race makes all the sense in the world for sure. It's a return to history. Uh, it's a return to what paved what we see today. So that obviously is big just all by itself. You know, I have to go to what I hear from my colleagues and what I see and read from the race fans because this is a track that I've never been to. I don't know where it is. I've only heard about where it sits out in the woods. I can't wait to get there. So I am probably a race fan at this particular point. I'm one that's never been there. I'm one that can't wait to get there. I'm one that can't wait to see what the cars do on this racetrack. And I'm definitely one that wants to go back and revisit history in NASCAR. Well, the fans are excited. I'm excited about it too. You know, we, we can't get through a week these days 
without hearing about another racetrack that's going out of business, another racetrack that's going to be turned into an auto salvage yard, another racetrack that's going to that's going to become a strip mall. You know, I still I still am living for the day where they announce that they're going to bulldoze a strip mall to build a new racetrack. So far, nothing in that regard. But, you know, going back to North Wilkesboro is awesome. For, for the fans that want to go back and get a taste of what it used to be like in this sport, and a lot of them say they do, they're going to get their opportunity. And, and they're going to figure out very quickly that the good comes with the bad, right? Because there's one way into Wilkesboro and there's one way out, and, it, and there's going to be traffic like a lot of race fans probably have never experienced in their life. If you're into this for the luxury, uh, the luxury suite experience, North Wilkesboro is not going to be your place it's gonna be a throwback and the uh, and like they say up in new england and you know the old trappers used to say the tail comes with the hide and i think you know as far as north wilkesboro is concerned as long as you know exactly what you're gonna get right and the good comes with the bad it's gonna be a really cool weekend well if nascar fans are looking for a luxury suite experience and the race weekend at chicago may be up their alley alex nascar has continued to show that they're not afraid to try new ideas how do you feel about racing on the streets of downtown Chicago? You know, I, I'm very open to this. And I think that's the beauty of where we're at right now with Steve Phelps, our, our leader and president of NASCAR and, and the entire organization. They're thinking outside the box. And I love that. It's not the same old thing. There was a time we knew come the second week of June, which racetrack we were going to be at. We knew the first week of August, what track we were going to be at. I love the fact that they're willing to take chances and do different things. And to put a, a race in downtown Chicago, Illinois, right in the middle of town and, and race on the streets itself, I think it's a huge undertaking to try to pull this off, how they're going to do it logistically, how they're going to do it with the, the Chicago natives that are going to be mad that their city streets are going to be shut down for a period of time. Uh, I think there's a lot of question marks out there, but a lot of excitement at the same time. I can't wait. I think this is going to be cool, something different, something that that we just simply haven't done, at least in in my tenure in in 26 years with MRN, to to go street racing. I I think it's fantastic. Will it work? Will it be a success? Who knows? But the excitement level on what we're hoping it's going to be is off the charts. I never thought they would race in downtown Chicago. And before we go forward, let's go back. Nashville. Super Speedway returning there. It really wasn't a big surprise. Putting the cup cars out at Road America wasn't really a big surprise. Racing at Circuit of the Americas wasn't a huge surprise. I think everybody anticipated and expected it one day or another we would be there. Going to the LA Coliseum, that was a shocker. But it was a shocker for an exhibition race and we're all excited to go back there and do it again. Then word comes that we're going to race downtown in Chicago on the streets. And prior to the rumors taking place, I don't think anybody really expected that. So I would call that a shocker, but I love the shocker. Uh, I can't wait to see what this brand new car that we touched on earlier that that even has a little road racing uh, look and feel to it is going to do on the streets of Chicago. I think the fans are going to turn out. Is there going to be some challenges? Always is. Anytime we go to a venue for the very first time, add to that downtown Chicago, there'll probably be a challenge or two along the way. But I think when it's all said and done, 
over the 4th of July weekend. When we come away from that racetrack on Monday, we are going to be going, wow, what have we just witnessed? I can't wait to get downtown in Chicago. I think it's it's kind of like when they announced plans to do the Roval. It's kind of like when they announced plans to put a racetrack inside the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. It's kind of like the first time they said they were going to put dirt down at Bristol Motor Speedway. People went, I don't know, man. We've never seen anything like that before. Will that work or will that not work? All three of those worked spectacularly. Whether Chicago works or not, I don't know. I think it's going to be a different kind of NASCAR race than than any of us have ever seen before. I think there are going to be there are going to be tens of thousands of people on site that are a little bit interested in the NASCAR race and a whole lot interested in just the ambiance and the atmosphere and the party surrounding it all. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I just like the fact that that you know, not too many years ago. When they talked about we're going to shake up the NASCAR schedule, that generally meant that they were going to move one race three weeks forward or three weeks back. It was the same exact races at the same exact tracks on slightly different dates. Today, when NASCAR says we're going to shake things up, man, we don't have any idea what's coming anymore. And from what we're hearing about 2024, we don't have any idea what's coming there either. And I think there's uh, there's more in store. And and I like the fact that we get surprised every now and then now. It didn't happen for a long time. It should be a massive spectacle coming on the 4th of July weekend in the Windy City in 2023. Coming up, we'll look ahead to part two of NASCAR Live's top 10 stories of 2023. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We've covered a lot of topics today, and that's only half of the biggest stories from 2022. Next week, we're going to do a deeper dive into the headlines and talk about everything from Joey Logano becoming a two-time Cup Series champion to wild, silly season news that we all went through. He's a great adapter. There's no question about that. Usually when we do something for the first time, he's one of the guys to watch. And in all honesty, we need to learn to start listening when Joey Logano talks because before the playoffs even were close to starting, he was telling everybody that wanted to listen, we're the team to beat, we're the favorite. If you're betting on anybody but us, you're throwing your money away. You know, and they they won reasonably early. And their season, really, the Joey Logano-Paul Wolf season reminded me in a lot of ways of, of vintage Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals. They got their money in the bank early, right? They, they punched their ticket to the playoffs early. And then by their own admission, they kind of went off the reservation a little bit and spent June and July and maybe a little bit of August trying different things. Some of them worked. A lot of them didn't, but they were able to cross them off their list and not waste time on it once things when things got serious toward the tail end of the season. Canals and Johnson used to do that all the time. And we'd always talk in July and August, oh boy, the 48 car's not up to snuff. They're not going to be ready. The playoffs are going to be tough. And then they'd win out of the three out of the first five playoff races and win the championship. Joey and Paul Wolf did something very similar this past year. You know, the thing that I uh, that I find interesting with Joey Logano, Paul Wolf, and Team Penske was the fact that in a year of tremendous inconsistency with the brand new race car, those two and that team 
appeared to put together the most consistent season of anybody out there. And I think we all will agree that consistency will win you a championship. They won early at Darlington. Um, they went out in one gateway, like we talked about. They started the year off with a win at the Coliseum. They picked up a win at Vegas when they virtually had to have it. And then they did the same thing at Phoenix when they had to have the win. The thing that I find, and Alex touched on it, but the thing that I find the most interesting about Joey Logano is his incredible balance in the race car and away from the race car. He will tell you anything you want to know when he's outside of the race car. He's not only capable of talking shop, but he's also capable of talking about anything and everything you want to talk about. But when that man puts on a race helmet, he's as focused and driven as anybody out there. And at age 32, to be a two-time champion, I think there's a lot more ahead for Joey Logano, Paul Wolf, and Team Penske. Tune in to hear all that and more next week. I'd like to thank the voices you heard with me today on the show. Jeff Striegel, Alex Hayden, Steve Post, Dave Moody, Todd Gordon, Chris Wilner, Kim Kuhn, and Jason Toy. I'm Mike Bagley. For the rest of the MRN crew, we thank you so much for being a part of this week's NASCAR Live, and we'll talk to you next week right here again NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast, and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was directed by Trey Downey and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F.com.